ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 11. Today we look at what the end holds for the sinner. Revelation chapter 14, begin reading in verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Revelation chapter 14 is an interesting chapter. In its verses, God takes care of some tribulation housekeeping. In verses 1 through 5, the Lord shows us the fate of the 144,000. You'll remember the 144,000 are saved Jewish preachers who travel the world preaching the gospel of grace. And these men are divinely sealed and protected as they carry out their ministry. When their time is completed... The Antichrist is allowed to take their lives. And verses 1 through 5 picture them home in heaven in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 14 through 20, it speaks about the horrific battle of Armageddon that will occur at the end of the tribulation. We'll consider that text in our next study. 
Today we're focused on verses 6 through 13. And that passage brings and speaks about the future that awaits two distinct classes of people. Verses 6 through 11 deal with the future of the lost sinner. Verses 12 and 13 speak to the future of the faithful saint. Now while these verses speak about future events, they're very much relevant to us today. Every person under the sound of my voice will reach the end of their earthly journey someday there will come to an end of the road for all of us. We don't like to think about it, but we need to know what's coming so that we can be properly prepared for that hour. And when the end comes, you and I need to be ready. And when the end comes, there will be no more time to prepare. When the end comes, how we leave this world will be how we enter eternity. In Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 3, Solomon said, If the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. Same is true about your life and mine. However, the end finds us, whether saved or lost, is how eternity will preserve us. And we must be ready. Today, let's consider these verses which clearly declare what the end holds for both the tribulation sinner and the tribulation saint. Notice with me in verses 6 and 7, we have a final proclamation. These verses depict an angelic messenger flying above the earth, proclaiming the everlasting gospel. This angel declares the same message preached by Paul, Peter, John, and the rest of the apostles. It's the same message preached by the church, the true church, for the last 2,000 years. The message this angel delivers is the message of salvation through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, here is the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Paul said, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The Bible says in Romans 1 and verse 16, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. It is a simple message. Romans 10, 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
It is an av available message. Romans 10 and verse 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is a message of love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's an eternal salvation. It's a salvation that promises peace with God. It is the same message that was proclaimed in Eden in Genesis 3 and verse 21. It was pictured in the law. And it was purchased on Calvary, John 19 and verse 30. It is a message as fresh as the need of today, and yet it is as old as creation. It is the only message that will save the human soul from the wrath of God and an eternity in hell. Neither is their salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12 Yet, it is a message that has been, is, and will be rejected by sinners until the end of time. This message has been preached for 2,000 years. It has been ignored by most of those who have heard it. It is still being ignored in this day. And it will be ignored during the dark days of the tribulation. Many people will be saved. We thank God for that. But many, many more will be lost. People in the tribulation will refuse to hear the 144,000 evangelists. They will refuse the preaching of the two witnesses, Revelation 11. The world will even rejoice when they are dead and gone. And the world will refuse the steadfast, faithful testimony of the tribulation saints. The world will be unmoved by their love for Christ, their testimony, and even by their blood when they're martyred for their failure to worship the beast. The world will turn a deaf ear to all human efforts to bring them to Christ. And in a final attempt, a final effort to reach them, God will entrust the gospel to an angel and he will preach the message to a universal audience. He will call all people everywhere to flee the wrath to come. He will invite all people to come to Christ for salvation. He will call them to refuse the Antichrist and embrace the true Christ. It will be a powerful proclamation by a powerful preacher, but the world will remain defiant 
in their rejection of the gospel. The salvation offered through the blood of Jesus is humanity's only hope. And if Jesus is rejected, the Bible says in Hebrews 10 and verse 26, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. When the end comes, it will be too late to believe the gospel. Today is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2. If you have never believed the gospel and received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you must do that. And you need to do it today. One day, it will be forever too late. Not only do we have a final proclamation, but in verse 8, we have a fatal pronouncement. A second angel appears and pronounces God's final judgment on Babylon. You may notice that the angel says, is fallen twice. This indicates that Babylon's judgment is absolutely certain. Now we'll consider Babylon in greater detail when we come to Revelation 17 and 18. For now, we're seeking to understand why this city, above all others, is singled out for a special pronouncement of judgment. Babylon is more than a city. Babylon is a philosophy. Babylon represents everything the world is. There are people who believe that before the tribulation can happen, the actual city of Babylon has to be rebuilt. That's not true. That would take years. Babylon is more than a city. Babylon is a representation of everything the world is. Babylon represents everything that stands opposed to God and his perfect will. Babylon represents a system of unbelief. Now back in Genesis chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, we're introduced to the descendants of a man named Cush. One of his sons was named Nimrod. Nimrod founded the city of Babel, verse 10. It was here that mankind rebelled against the Lord and attempted to build the city, or excuse me, the tower of Babel, Genesis 11. This tower was a place dedicated to the worship of the zodiac and the heavenly bodies. Babel was one of the first centers of false idolatrous worship in this world, and Nimrod was the ringleader. 
Genesis 10 in verse 9, he's called a mighty hunter. The phrase mighty hunter has been interpreted by some as a mighty hunter of souls. In other words, there are some Bible teachers who believe that Nimrod was the father of a religious system that was designed to seduce men and turn them away from the one true God. Thus, when they build their tower dedicated to the worship of idols and heavenly bodies, God intervened and confused their languages. That did not destroy the seeds of false religion that's been planted in the hearts of men. People left Babel and carried their false doctrines with them around the world, and Babel later became Babylon was a city that was the capital of false religion and idolatry, and it represents everything in this world that stands opposed to God. In the tribulation, it speaks of the economic and religious kingdom of the Antichrist. In this verse, Babylon is pictured as a harlot, She's seen seducing the foolish sinners of this world. She's led them away from God with her lies, and she's about to pay a terrible price. The judgment of God is coming upon her and her heresies, and none can stay the hand of God in his judgment. The philosophy behind all of mankind's religious heresies and rebellion against God will be destroyed and their foundation will be shattered by the wrath of God. Thus we come to verses 9 through 11. We have not only a final proclamation, a fatal pronouncement, but in verses 9 through 11, we have a fearful portrayal. We now have a third angel that appears. He preaches a message of judgment to all those who receive the mark of the beast and who worship the beast. This angel reveals what will happen to all those who refuse to receive the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. And this angel preaches a fearful message, but it is one that you and I need to take note today. We're told in verse 10 that the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. What a horrible picture! We must dissect this verse a phrase at a time. First, notice with me the wine of the wrath of God. The word wrath translates the Greek word thumos. It is a word that pictures an explosion of wrath, a sudden outburst, a passionate display of anger. When God's wrath is poured out on this world, it will be a sudden judgment from which there will be no escape. 
The Bible says also that it's going to be poured without mixture. When the wrath of God comes on this world, it will be pure and undiluted. Sinners and Satan have never experienced the undiluted fury of an offended God, but they will one day. Hebrews 10.31, Hebrews 12.29. Then I would say also the verse points out the cup of his indignation. The word indignation translates the other New Testament word that is often translated wrath. It is the Greek word orgy. The word speaks of a slow rising anger. It was used to refer to the sap rising in a tree. It is a picture of water rising behind a dam until the pressure of the water becomes so great that the dam bursts. It is the image of a person holding back their anger, becoming red-faced until they finally explode in wrath. And one day the dam of God's wrath will burst and all those who are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ are doomed. That's the word of God. Then notice the scripture says, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The heavenly host and the Lamb of God will stand as a constant reminder to the lost sinner that they did not have to arrive at this horrible place. They could have been saved if they would have turned to Christ by faith. And horribly, most horribly of all, we're given a glimpse of the horrors that await the lost sinner in the flames of hell. Verse 11 is very clear. Hell is a place of unending, unimaginable torment for the lost sinner. And when they die without Jesus, they go to hell. And once there, they will never know a second of rest or relief. They will go to a place where they will never die and they will suffer throughout eternity as they endure the wrath of God in hell. And it didn't have to end this way for these people. It does not have to end that way for you. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he bore our sins in his own body. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Somehow in the economy of God, Jesus Christ literally became our sins on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And during that time on the cross, God judged Jesus as if he were you or me. He poured out his wrath upon the body of his dear son. And the judgment was so complete that Jesus even cried in his anguish that he had been forsaken by God. Jesus has already experienced the undiluted wrath of God on the cross. He suffered on that tree because you and I are sinners. And he took our place on the cross and suffered the wrath of God so that we do not have to face it. 
And now the only hope for salvation is Jesus Christ. Those who believe on him by faith will be saved and they will spend an eternity with Christ in heaven. Those who reject him will be spending the eternity in hell. And verse 11 will be their future. Where will you be? Five seconds after death. My friend, it all depends on what you do with Jesus Christ. You need to know that if you are lost, you're walking the most dangerous path you could ever walk. You're playing Russian roulette with a fully loaded gun and one day you're going to lose everything. And the only reason why you're not in hell today is the good grace of a merciful God. And at any moment, he could sever the golden thread of life and you would be plunged into a Christless eternity where you would be lost forever. Do not let that happen. Here is the word of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, his only unique son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can come to Christ and be saved. You can be saved from your sin. You can be saved from the penalty of your sin. You can be saved from the practice of your sin when you go to glory. You can be saved from the wrath of God. You can avoid hell if you'll come to Christ. Come to Christ and be saved. Come before it's too late. For my friend, one day it will be too late. Come to Christ. Come to him now. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.